AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. So Matt, uh, you have a story about a Kubernetes vulnerability? Yeah, it's interesting because this is actually a Kubernetes vulnerability that existed a year ago, and it sort of was assumed that it had been patched properly. This company called Twistlock, who sort of does container security, one of their researchers took a look at this bug that came out last year in March. And the, the gist of the bug is that when you're moving data in and out of a, a container, there's a special program called uh, kubectl, okay. uh, Kubernetes control kind of short for, and you can move files from you know, inside out using this copy command within kubectl. And when it does that, it also tars it up first. So it grabs everything using the tar binary inside of that container to package it and then bring it outside. But the interesting thing about that is that it assumes that there's a valid and non-malicious tar right, right, right. control uh, program running inside of it. So if you were to upload a container to your to system that has a malicious tar, it'll do, it can do other things, like make a malicious file path to specify where it gets ex, uh, extracted to, and you can overwrite stuff. So that's the gist of the old bug, and they okay. thought they'd fixed it. Fixing a problem isn't just fixing the immediate problem that's been presented to you. Oftentimes it's thinking about how else could this break, or what would an attacker do next? There was a directory traversal bug back in the day where like, you, you specify like dot, dot, slash, dot, dot, slash in that path where it gets extracted to and you can jump all over in the fire file system right where you want to. But they realized that they fixed it for the one case, but you could still create a symlink. Okay. Which is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a file, it's kind of a file that points to another location within the file system and they weren't checking for that in the original patch. So this new version allows you to do effectively the same thing you did before, but instead of specifying you know, a file location, you specify this, this sim link, which points to another file location. So you still have the problem. And they had a pretty interesting um, proof of concept where you can overwrite the bash RC for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And in Linux, that's what happened. You, anytime you open up a new shell, your bash RC gets executed. So if you can modify somebody else's, anytime they log in, they run your code. Uh, so it's a pretty neat bug. Yeah. Uh, very well written up, I think. And I thought it was pretty neat, especially because containerization is a, a big trend right, right I was now. I say, I mean, Kubernetes is kind of omnipresent at this point um, yep. in software development and containerization, web stuff, web services, microservices. The fact that there's such a sort of potentially dangerous vulnerability found by this group uh, in something that's pretty widespread and getting a lot of use and sort of a hot, trendy uh, technology right now, that, that's something, you know, it's a little bit concerning. Are there any known exploits for this? Or? I don't think anyone's exploited it in the wild quite yet. Okay. And I, I think that there is a patch for it. It's just that this is a bug that had been assumed fixed and clearly was not. So I think a lot of people will want to pay attention to this. If, right. you're, if you're using any containerization software, it's time to check to see if you're using Kubernetes and time to patch. Right. Um, there are some limitations to it. Like there's really two main attack vectors. One is you, you've grabbed a container that you don't understand off the internet and you're executing it because you trust it, which is generally a bad idea. Right. Or someone else has a way to get into your container and swap out that binary. So you should at least be able to detect both of those cases. What do you think, John? Well, I was going to say, I think it's also kind of interesting in that, you know, when you do the, you know, why would a copy command of any kind called tar or execute any kind of executable? It just seems like that that's something that should be removed as a, as a feature. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the bigger thing, I think, is why would you trust the con contents of a container 
to execute for you. Like if there's a way to do it, then it, it probably should be something running in Kubernetes itself and not relying on the contents of the container, which really can't be trusted in the first place. But yeah, I agree with you. you just own that person. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. So I think there was some discussion in that document um, from uh, Twistlock that they are working on finding another way of doing this that doesn't rely on the contents of that container to execute this command, which I think is the right approach. Preventative measures for the Kubernetes issue are really just to patch, uh, make sure you're on the latest version. And if you are someone who is involved with bringing in stuff that's in a container in Kubernetes, uh, understanding the risks involved with bringing in packages that you have no idea where they came from or who wrote them, because that is one of the attack vectors in this case. So John, you've got a story about some interesting new Android malware that has to do with cryptocurrency. Can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, sure. The uh, security firm, which is called Group IB, has identified this malware, which I'm probably going to butcher the name, is Gustav, which essentially uh, gets sold. You pay for the service, and you, you put it in these Android apps that get pushed to the user through SMS. So, for example, uh, a victim would receive a text that says, click here to you know do whatever, and they click that, and they get the push of the app, which, you know as we know, is called sideloading. Side loading is loading an app in a sort of non-standard way, um, so through a, a direct install rather than going through a store or um, you know downloading through an approved uh, manner. Once the victim has loaded that app, you know now they're basically this thing is designed to look for banks in bank uh, apps and, and pretend to be them or to steal the contents of them. And, and, you know, and it, it, it can even do other things, like they say, it can take your SMSs, it can copy your locations, it does all these things. It, it, it's pretty nasty um, and pretty cheap, like $800, I think, something like that to, to, to get a copy of it. Interesting. So the, the malware itself ins gets installed, but then it determines what bank the user has. Can you tell us a little bit more? How, how does it do that? Yeah, well, it does is essentially kind of like a little database. It says, okay, I see that you have the Bank of America app on your phone. And then it says, okay, so if you have the Bank of America app, I'm going to target that your account this way. Or if you have, you know, you know name the bank, name the, the feature. So it, it, it's created, it created this little database that says, if you have these particular, you know, functions or particular um, mechanisms to access your banking data, this is how I'm going to attack you. And, and it's very it's very tailored to the to the individual to the victim, so that you know if you don't have to know all this stuff. You know, you can just say, okay, I know that you have Bank of America, and this is how I get into your account, and then it and then it proceeds to to utilize that information that is gathered from you um, to maybe even just your normal use uh, to pretend to be you. It's interesting. You know, we think about browsing and you know private browsing and you know kind of keeping that safe and secure, but you don't never think about the apps that you have being like a, a form of sensitive information. It just shows you that you really need to be uh, thinking of your device and how you're using your device as, you know, a personal profile. It, it, it's pretty scary. And this, this malware, like I said, it, it, it almost owns the whole device. So, and I shouldn't say almost, because it really does. Because it can take your, your SMS messages, it can pretend to be you. It can even take the device and take it all the way back to the factory default of settings, which I don't know why it would, but it has that capability because it has that level of permission. So you're, you would have to sideload this app 
based on, for example, like you said, uh, an SMS message from a uh, total stranger. But then in Android, it should say, these are the permissions you're about to give to this application. And it sounds like it's going to ask for all the permissions on the phone. And hopefully a user should yeah. be able to tell the difference or, or at least say, why, do I need, why does my, my banking app need access to my camera? Why does it need access to, I, you know, there's, there's, there's things that I think a, a normal user would be able to pick up on, I hope. You'd really hope, and you know, as much as we talk to people, don't do side loading. You know, don't, if you like you said permissions. If if my you know that game that that cool game that my stranger buddy just sent me a text on, you know, says, hey, I need your access to your camera, or to your microphone, or to storage. You know, and it says anything. Well, why is that? But people still do it. You know, and and they're and they're getting you know they're getting lost. And 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 now when we talk this realm of cyber, you know, currency and, you know, banking information. It's all that this targets are, are easy if you've left them in the device and given those permissions without really thinking hard about it. So I think that this is partly on users to understand the situations in which they should be installing software and the things they should be allowing it to do. Well, Joe, I've been hearing a lot about this uh, new browser vulnerability that's uh, hitting a lot of people. Yeah, so uh, in the Android marketplace, there's a, a browser from the Alibaba company called UC Browser. Uh, it's got over 500,000 downloads in the Google Play Store. And uh, basically it's come out that the way it's doing updates, it's bypassing the Google Play Store to do updates and doing a direct HTTP mm. connection to get its updates. That's so not great. <laughs> that's, yeah, not HTTPS, not the approved, not the way that they're contractually obligated to do updates, but a direct HTTP connection, which of course, you know, presents the opportunity for man in the middle. So instead of going through a secure channel and going directly for the upgrade, you know, you go out insecure and somebody could be redirecting another file, a malicious file potentially, back to you, which you would receive instead of the upgrade or the patch that you expect to get. You know, this research firm, Dr. Webb, uh, it's a Russian group, uh, they found it, they um, contacted Alibaba, they contacted Google, uh, reported it, reported it as a vulnerability, but as of, you know, this, the story coming out, and as of, you know, the most recent news, the app is still available on the store, and they haven't taken it down, they haven't done any kind of patching, so, you know, this is one where if you're using this UC browser, your best bet is just to uninstall it, um, use a different browser, find a different way, you know, find a different way to, to use that function because this is not a secure app right now. Wow. So you mentioned uh, contractually obligated. Now, is yeah. it really the case that when you're in the, in the Google Play Store, you have to do your updates a certain way? Yeah, the terms and conditions, you know, you're basically it's a violation of the terms and conditions of being an approved app in the, the store is that you have to do your updates through the, the Google Play Store. So they're in violation. So technically, Google could take this app down without even requesting it. Huh. But yeah. I, I know that, you know, that there's, there's a lot of, you know, users who use UC Browser, you know, just because it's a, it's a you know, like I said, it's a fairly common uh, alternative to some of the you know, the Chromes and the you know, the other browsers that are out there, but it, it's you, you know sometimes you take a little bit of a risk when you use these these, these things and, and like you know you're saying it's that 
the update process on any app is kind of a, a little unusual. But when you see an update that doesn't go to the Play Store, that, that should probably, you know, ring some bells, in danger bells. Definitely. Yeah, well, for most users, it's going to be occurring in the background anyway. They're not going to be doing that validation. The app needs to be the one responsible for it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and you know, the, you could end up getting back something other than your update, you know? And, and it gets right back to what we talked about with the Kubernetes story that, you know, you could get a file, an unintended file back mm -hmm. that could do almost anything on your device. So are they doing any validation of what gets installed? I mean, because I've, I've heard of people doing things like they'll encrypt it, but they'll also include a checksum in the message, or they'll also include some sort of other validation that has to occur in order for this package to be considered legit. Now, of course, if I can tamper with all that validation information right. that comes along with it, it's kind of moot, but are they doing anything like yeah, that? Yeah, there's no evidence of that. I have a feeling based on the fact that they didn't even go to uh, HTTPS in this connection, I imagine that this is just a direct, you know, get what you want and none, none of those precautions are in place, but okay. there, well, there's no evidence of that in the, um, you know, the report that I read. A malicious actor would have to be, you know, probably on the same Wi-Fi network, more than likely. But at least it's these local type attacks that still is, is pretty, pretty concerning. Yeah, sure. So if you are a user of this application, I think the best thing you can do is uninstall it for the time being. Hopefully the developers will catch on that this is, in fact, a critical bug that needs to be fixed. But until that happens, there's no real, there's nothing here to, to give you the warm, fuzzy feeling that things are being done correctly. So let's take a look at this week's internet weather. Uh, these are the top 10 most probed ports. At the top, uh, no real change for 23 TCP and 445. That is Telnet and uh, SMB. Been there for forever, <laughs> seems yeah. like. Uh, 81 TCP is an alternate web port. I think it's specific to an IoT vulnerability we've researched in the past. 22 TCP is SSH. 3389 is remote desktop protocol. 80 ICMP is ping. 80 TCP is plain old web port, which is up two spots. Uh, 8545 is JSON RPC, typically related to Ethereum cryptocurrency. Uh, 5038 we'll go into in detail later, as will we cover 8089 TCP. So both of those have jumped up significantly. All right. Uh, these are the most sources probing. Again, this is the number of individual endpoints scanning and not the volume at which they are scanning. 445 and uh, 23 are at the top. 8080 is another uh, web port. 80 is web. 5431 is, I believe, it's registered to Park Agent, but I think it has to do with Broadcom UPnP vulnerabilities. Okay. 5900 is up to 18 spots. Yeah. That's a huge jump, and that is VNC. It's a remote, kind of a remote desktop client. Okay. Uh, 80 ICMP is ping. 5555 Android Debug Bridge. 81 TCP is another alternate web port, like we said for IoT. And 1433 is MS SQL. So, 5,900, yeah. up 18 spots. Look at this. Incredible, right? Uh, significant number of scanning sources. Uh, it seems to be, I'm not sure it's on a weekly basis, but you can see there's a definite week gap there, yeah. where this scans from the 14th to the 21st drops off, and then again, at like the 28th, it starts, starts up again. So, I'm not sure if this is a research project or what. Uh, I really did not get a chance to look at where it's coming from, unfortunately. But well, there's a 30-day view of that. And it peaks up around 8,000 scan sources per hour. Incredible. Yeah. 445, I like to check in every once in a while. I mean, this has been a, a big deal for a long time. WannaCry, right? Usually WannaCry-related scanning or the same kind of eternal romance, eternal blue bug family. Yeah. Uh, it, it tends to be trending downwards, so that's good. Uh, but still significant amount of scanning, as we saw in the first two charts. 
5038 TCP, this is Asterisk Manager API. So people are probably familiar with Asterisk as a PBX system yeah, for phone. a phone system. You connect yeah. this to the internet and then a bunch of modems or, or phone banks and you can use it either to bridge phone to SIP or just SIP. It's very versatile. Um, if you put it on the internet, people like to try and scan for these things and use them for phone fraud. Mm. So if you have access to this API and you know the default credentials and they are set to that, you can get into the system, find out the other credentials for the system, and then from there you can kind of pivot, create your own accounts and use it for fraud. So this is sort of prolonged scanning that's just kind of peaking, it seems like? I think so, yeah. I think someone out there has decided to start kicking up Okay. Uh, a real bunch of, of scans maybe, and again, for research or malicious purposes, it's not really clear, but the top sources are in Canada and Iceland, there's only about a handful of those. Okay. Uh, 8089 is the other port that jumped up this week. Splunk uses 8089 for two different things, for management and deployment. Uh, I found an interesting exploit scenario where you can sort of connect to a Splunk instance and then like upload something and then switch it back to original where it was. It's, it was a little bit complicated. Uh, they called it forwarder hijacking. Okay. Uh, but if, if you're interested in that sort of thing, I recommend yeah. that you check out that post. Uh, the top sources are all in the US and we peak somewhere around 180 million scan sources per hour here. So again, significant. It doesn't seem like there's a, much of a floor yeah. on this one. It seems that someone is definitely uh, scanning it in a very concentrated way for a short period of time. Uh, another one that I saw that did not, I don't think 5632 made our list of top 10, but it made it, uh, there was a baseline alarm for it, so I'm, I'm checking okay. it out. Uh, 5632 UDP, which I found registered to Semantic PC Anywhere, which is another remote desktop kind of uh, right. uh, setup. So people might be using this again. The same reason that you would scan for VNC or RDP is if you can find some default creds and get into a box and get full you know, visual control of it, you have, you know, that's it, game over. Right. Um, the scanners are mostly 10 sources in the Netherlands, um, so I'm not really sure if this is malicious or research or not, uh, but again, we're peaking up around 140,000. Uh, and the last one was another kind of weird port that came out of nowhere, uh, 65.533 TCP, and at this point, I am not sure what it represents. Oh. We haven't quite pinned down why it's being scanned, but it's been a significant uptick in scanning in the last month. So that's gonna require some further investigation. There are hundreds of sources in China scanning for this at this time. At the start of, of March, we were less than a million, and now we're somewhere around 1.2. I wonder if we'll find a vulnerability come out that's using this port that hasn't been announced yet. Might know? be. The yeah. one place I found an interesting reference to it was someone had posted sort of a, a PowerShell script okay. that was referencing this and scanning ports 445 and 65533. I can kind of understand where 445 comes right. in. I just don't understand why 65533 is in there. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of times we talk about how we'll see stuff in the network before it comes out in the news, and yep. maybe this is one of those cases where we're we're out in front of it, so that's interesting. Yeah, so we'll keep an eye on this one for sure. Great, thanks Matt. I always kind of key in on those areas because it, it shows the value of our visibility and you know we're seeing scanning and there's not really a good explanation of it yet, but as of now, we're sort of seeing the scanning before uh, anyone has correctly diagnosed the uh, issue there. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.